I'll be reading from Luke chapter 22, verses 14 to 23. When the time came, Jesus took his place at the table, and the apostles joined him. He said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. I tell you, I won't eat it until it is fulfilled in God's kingdom. After taking a cup and giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. I tell you that from now on, I won't drink from the fruit of the vine until God's kingdom has come. After taking the bread and giving thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after the meal and said, This cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. But look, my betrayer is with me. His hand is on this table. The human one goes just as it has been determined. But how terrible it is for that person who betrays him. They began to argue among themselves about which of them it could possibly be who would do this. Good morning. Good morning. My name is Scott. I'm the leadership pastor here, and I would like to pray with you this morning. God, thank you for this day, for the opportunity to learn from you, to learn to love you more, and to serve you better. We ask that you would be present as we worship you and think about you and pray to you. Amen. In case you didn't realize what we were talking about today, it's the Last Supper. That's what the table's for. We eat at them. Um, now, that's a little different from how it might have been experienced by those people who were there originally. Uh, they would have not quite had the, the setup we have here today, but this fits how we see it in many ways. Uh, because we have ideas about the Last Supper. It's often treated as deeply holy. Um, we get this image here, this classic image, right, of the Last Supper. We have, them, we have the seats here today similar to that, where everyone sits on kind of one side, um, which is weird, right? The joke is that Jesus asked them to prepare a table for 26 so that they could fit 13 of them on one side. Um, Really strange visual of this. Actually, this picture is usually put up with uh, halos around everyone's head, right? So they make sure you know they're all very holy, except for one of them, right? But the rest of them are all very holy. Um, I, I, one thing I think is great about this is uh, they, they have very colorful robes. Uh, surprises me for the imagery. But yeah, it's, it, it's this imagery of, of, like, of conversation and holiness where in reality, I mean, sure, these are good people, I guess. They're mostly just people. And more importantly, uh, this, this dinner was not nearly as relaxed as I think the images give us. I mean, I guess there's some conversations happening in there. But it feels often like good people chatting about the end of the world. I mean, the tensions that they had were probably more like uh, that family member that comes to dinner sometimes that you wish maybe they weren't able to make it. A little bit too much of politics or a little too much of the wine, whatever it may be, 
a little bit of a tense conversation. I mean, this is the place where, you know, Jesus emphasizes that he's going to die, that he must die, that he tells Peter he's gonna, that he's going to deny him three times, that Judas is going to betray him. He rebukes his disciples because they have a fight over the honor, how honored they will be in his kingdom, and all of this is before the main course. It's a bit of a tense situation for a dinner, for a meal. These are real people in very real circumstances at a meal, really at a moment in which everything was about to change. They've been following Jesus for years, and it's led to right here, to this room, to this table, and it's feeling like everything is falling apart. So I'd like to introduce you to some of the people who were there that day. First, we have Andrew. Andrew was the first disciple. Uh, Andrew learned about Jesus probably from John the Baptist and excitedly brought his brother Peter to Jesus. Ran out to make sure that Peter would know who Jesus is. Andrew left behind what seems like a really decent career as a fisherman to follow Jesus. Years spent fishing, now years spent following. This early excitement of Andrew's, though, seemed to turn a bit to doubt. Uh, Jesus suggested that he could feed, he could use five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 people, and Andrew was not so certain. We don't even know what other doubts maybe Andrew brought to the table that day. Now, there's Peter, of course, so Andrew brings Peter. Peter is uh, one of Jesus' closest disciples. There are only a few of them that may have this honor. He's lifted up um, as, a, as one of the most important apostles, leader of the church, eventually. He's a witness to Jesus' transfiguration. Jesus says, I want you to be there when you see the glory of God shine from me. He's the one who declared Jesus to be a savior when the others were too afraid to do so. But in Peter's heart, he was also afraid. Jesus had let them know that, that soon, very soon, he would lose his life. And Peter didn't want that to happen. But he also didn't want to lose his own life either. Uh, later, when Jesus was arrested, Peter was accused of being his follower, and he was his follower. He was devoted and passionate and sincere, and he lied and said he wasn't three separate times. As he sat at this meal, he was afraid. We also have James. James, the son of Alphaeus. Now, this, this guy could be Matthew's brother, actually. We're not totally sure about who James was. Uh, we don't know much about this, this disciple, but James was there to witness these events. Now, his possible brother, Matthew, we know more about. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew was a tax collector, and a cultural enemy to everyone else at the table. 
outside of this space, outside of this room with these people, with this community that had been brought together, outside of these people who have committed themselves to Jesus, he was a traitor to his people, someone to be shunned and pushed to the side. But here, with Jesus, Matthew is redefined, holds a deep new identity. A new community is formed. And Jesus is talking about all of that coming apart. What's left for Matthew tonight? We have Philip at the table. Philip uh, is another person we don't know as much about. Philip was, uh, was an important leader in the church um, at different points, but we don't have that much details about him. We know that Philip seems a bit timid, unsure about Jesus and the coming kingdom. Yet still, Philip brought others to Jesus. Philip is, has an interesting place in the church, unsure, perpetually seeking, but willing to take a risk. And then we have someone, I'm sure you've never heard of this one, uh, his name is Judas. <laughs> now Judas, <laughs> Judas is listed throughout the New Testament clearly as a traitor. Judas uh, is the one who betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. Now, at this moment, though, only Judas and Jesus know what's happening there. At this moment, only these two know what plans are in place. Now, we don't know exactly why Judas betrayed Jesus. We don't know what was going through his head. But it seems that he had some expectations, some things he wanted from Jesus that Jesus didn't fulfill. He didn't want Jesus' kingdom necessarily. He wanted Jesus to create the kingdom that Judas preferred. We have two other disciples that we don't know that much about, Thaddeus and Bartholomew. If I were to take a poll on who was at the table, my guess is very few of you would bring up Thaddeus and Bartholomew. We don't know much about them. Um, they get skipped in, in, in constantly in Sunday school classrooms when people try to figure out the 12 disciples because they, they forget these two. The church has always loved extroverts. We tend not to hire introverted pastors. It makes it difficult to do the job. We like the preachers, we like the evangelists, the people who can be loud, the people who don't mind embarrassing themselves and getting up in front of people talking on a weekly basis. But here at this table, it's good to be reminded that the church has some deep space for ordinary disciples who are quiet and trying to figure life out. We also have Thomas joining for this meal. Now, you've probably heard me talk about Thomas before. Uh, Thomas was, is the one who's often described as the doubter. 
I think Thomas gets a bad rap. Sure, he doubted Jesus after the insurrection, not insurrection, resurrection. That <laughs> could go very differently. Um, <laughs> doubted Jesus after the resurrection. But he was actually willing to give his life for Jesus when others made no such claim. So when Lazarus, one of Jesus' close friends, dies, everyone else says, hey, let's not go there because that's the place where people want to kill you, Jesus, so we can't visit Lazarus because they'll want to kill you and maybe us too. But Thomas is the one who says, let's go. If we die, we die. We'll be with him. So be it. Thomas was ready to lay down his life for Jesus. He probably didn't know that he would have to. Next, we have James and John. Now, these are two separate, uh, two separate brothers here from the other James. We've got James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Sons of Zebedee to distinguish them. But that's not the only thing they were called. Jesus called them also the sons of thunder. Did so likely because of their tempers. The tension of this room had to be difficult for them to keep quiet. See, when Jesus sent them out in ministry, they were rejected. And so they asked Jesus to bring down destruction on the city because the people were mean to them. They have a bit of a temper. And they were confused by why Jesus had come. Because at this very meal, they start an argument about which one of them was going to be the most honored in Jesus' kingdom. While Jesus is saying, hey, look, I'm going to die, pay attention, they're saying, yeah, yeah, but me, I'm pretty important, right? They were completely unaware at this moment, exactly what they would have to sacrifice to be called the greatest in the kingdom. And lastly, we have Simon. Simon is known as the Zealot, which is a cool name. <laughs> Simon the Zealot, uh, there's not much known about this guy, to be honest, uh, except that he's a zealot. And that's a particularly interesting name. So some people were called sons of thunder, but not zealots. Simon, however, was given this title. Now, we don't know much about the zealots uh, about at this time around, of, that were around Jesus exactly, but we do know that as a broad group, uh, they were deeply passionate about their faith, their convictions. They, they very much hated the Romans and we know that Jesus never lived up to the ideals of the zealots. They would have liked him to reorganize the political world so that the Jewish people could be truly free. They desperately wanted good things for their people, but they were willing to use means that were outside of God's kingdom. And this frustrated them because Jesus would not ride straight into the temple and take control the way they wanted. Now, we can't be sure 
just how much of a zealot Simon the Zealot was. But you don't get a title if it doesn't fit you somewhat. What I find most interesting is that zealots hated the Romans, but no one they hated more than the Jewish people who worked with the Roman governments, like Matthew, the tax collector, sitting at the other end of the table. And that's, that's not the only tension that we have in this room right now. It's not just between Simon and Matthew, but when James and John start arguing about like who's the best person in the kingdom, do you think everyone else sat back and thought, yeah, it's one of them two? <laughs> right? This is not the only tension happening in the room at the moment because the arguments spread and get wilder and larger. When Jesus tells Peter he's going to deny him three times, how do you think the rest felt at that moment? I mean, Peter is the one who boldly said, you are the Messiah, you're the Savior, you're going to fix it all. And Jesus said, and you are the rock, and I'm going to build my church with you. And then he said, you're going to deny me three times. And everyone else in the room stops arguing about who's the most honored in the kingdom. Because at that moment, they realize it's not even Peter. Where are things at now? What's going to happen tonight that Peter, the man who stood boldly in, in, in the face of any opposition, who said that he would follow Jesus to the ends of the earth, that we know that tonight everything's going to change and Peter will deny Jesus three times. Where are the rest of us going to land? Then lastly, if you think that isn't enough, Jesus says, Jesus says not only is someone going to betray me or deny me, but someone's going to betray me to my death death, and it's going to be you, Judas. You're going to betray me. Judas lies and says that that's not the case, but Jesus tells him, look, if this is what you're going to do, just go do it. What is the tension of this room that goes from who's going to be the most honored to how can we make it if Peter won't even, won't even come through for Jesus to how could one of us betray Jesus all in one meal? None of them were prepared for this meal. None of them were ready. All of their fears and insecurities have been mingled together with their hope and their commitment. They're struggling to cut through probably some chewy lamb while deciding whether or not they're going to still follow Jesus after tonight. They are a jumbled mess of what it means to be human at this meal, and it's totally fine because they're not the hosts of this meal. They're the guests. Jesus is doing the hosting. And they don't have to bring anything but themselves. But to be honest, even that's not enough. It's quite the opposite. It's never enough. 
They can never bring enough for this meal. At this meal, the only thing they truly can do is receive. See, before this meal, right before this happened, Jesus got down, and while they were all getting prepared to eat, he washed their feet with a, with a cloth attached to his waist. He literally got down in front of them and said, the only things you bring to this meal right now is the dirt on your feet, and even that I'm taking away from you and putting it upon myself. When you come to this table, all you can do is receive. You don't bring your best, and you don't bring your worst, because Jesus takes that all and says, you just have to receive. I think a lot about what it must feel like to be at this seat, at this table with these people. I think about the idea that Jesus told them that his bones were going to be broken for them. His blood was going to be spilled for them. And I kind of want to say out loud to him, just stop, Jesus. You don't get it. You don't know what's going to happen. It's going to become a mess. These people that will follow in your name, they're a mess. They are going to mess this whole thing up. They will fight with each other for thousands of years. They will throw each, under, uh, each other under every bus they can find. Jesus, just stop. You don't get it. But I realize when I look at the table itself here with these people, he got it. He saw what they were. He knew them. And he said, it's worth it. Somehow, all of you at this table, you're worth it. And I think, who am I to argue with Jesus? And that's what communion is. It's giving up the argument with Jesus. It's saying, okay, your body broken for me. Your blood spilled for me. Whether I deserve it, whether I bring dirty mistakes to the table or the best I've got, at the end of the day, I'm not arguing anymore. I'll accept your meal. I'll accept your kingdom. So when we take this bread, we are committing most deeply not to the best of us or to the worst of us, but to what Jesus offers us. So take and eat in remembrance of him. up this cup. We are committing to a new covenant, one that we couldn't make. 
one that was made for us on our behalf. We are drinking to the hope of that covenant and a commitment to the claim that we don't get to declare. We don't get to declare the kingdom. We don't get to declare who sits at the table with us. We get to declare that we commit to Jesus and leave the rest to him. In remembrance of him.